the Storm, episode 19. I love talking periods. Hi, welcome to today's episode. I'm Anna Knight, a personal development coach with a passion to take you from survival mode into shining as bright as you can. On this podcast, I talk to real women and non-binary people about the things they're passionate about, what lights them up, the things that they've survived along the way, but also what they've got to say about the world and how we can move things forward. If you're experiencing the same situation, I also ask how you can move things forward, what support really helped them, everything you need to navigate your own storms in life. Today, we're talking to the wonderful Alison Matthews from Izzy Rizzy Roo. Alison is an expert in all things reusable pads. She makes the most gorgeous creations, and I never thought I'd be saying that about a period product. But she's also really passionate about menstrual health and opening up the conversation about periods as well. Throughout this podcast, we're talking about people who menstruate. And while that can generally be thought of as women, it's really important to acknowledge that not all people who menstruate are women. That includes non-binary people and some trans men as well. And also not all people who are women menstruate. So throughout we've done our best to be as inclusive in our language as possible. So without further ado, here's Alison. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So if you could start introducing yourself, who you are for the listeners. Hi, so I'm Alison and I run Izzy Wizzy Roo. Izzy Wizzy Roo was born around seven years ago now and I make reusable menstrual products. We started out at our kitchen table and have just progressed into our first office space. Wow, that's super exciting. It really is. (laughs) So how did you get into reusable menstrual pad production? When I had my eldest, Roo, so Izzy Wizzy Roo is named after my children, my eldest two, and we have Izzy and Roo, and they're just their nicknames. So when I had my son, we started using cloth nappies. And a friend that I'd met through having my son, who'd introduced me into cloth nappies, And I introduced her into slings, but she knew that I was having difficulties with my periods and she suggested trying some reusable sanitary products. And I was like, oh, that's a bit, okay, well, we'll give them a go. And she sent me some to try and I tried them and I really enjoyed them. But I was like, I can make these, like I could make these better and I could make these to how I want them. And so I started sewing some and they were disastrous. (laughs) (laughs) They were awful. And my first ones, I think I looked at disposables and was like, okay, so I have a vague idea. And I sewed some and they were really difficult to sew. (laughs) And 
I had lots and lots of errors and I thought, well, they're usable, but they look horrendous. And they were okay. And I just thought, you know, I must be able to do this. So I did so much research and in the end, I got a pretty basic shape down and I was like, okay, that'll do. And I started making them for myself and I was sharing on Facebook and things about what I was doing. And people started coming to me and going, oh, can I try some? Can I try some? And it just sort of progressed. And as time grew on, I got better and better. And now my pads are beautiful and I do all sorts of fancy shapes. And yeah, I could sew a pad in my sleep now. (laughs) (laughs) And I do have to say, if anyone's listening out here... They need to head over to Instagram because I never knew that pads could look so beautiful, like the colours and it's a far cry from the plasticky white things that you stick in your knickers. Definitely. I mean, I get some very, very random requests for fabric and I love it as well. So my customs are where people can tailor their own product so they can say how long they want it, what absorbency they want and what sort of shape they want, but they can also choose the fabric that they want. And sometimes I have people come to me with just wild requests. I had somebody recently come to me. She's been a customer for for a few months now. She converted and shared a picture of her pads drying. And in front of all these pads drying was her collection of rubber ducks. And she said to me, could you do me a duck pad? And I was like, of course I can do you a duck pad. I sourced rubber duck fabric for her. And I made her rubber duck pads. (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. So we we do get some random requests. They aren't all vanilla. We have sweary fabrics and rude fabrics. And yeah, there's there's so many options that you are not limited to chucking a sticky back bleached disposable into your knickers. You can have so much fun with your period. Which is not something you often say. Definitely not. (laughs) I guess when I look back into the past and think about the conversations that I had about periods as a teenager, really vivid memory of the day we had the talk at school. And my main concern was making sure that no boys saw the little samples of stuff we were given. I was like, it must go in the bottom of my bag and never be seen again. See, I think I've had different experiences with that. Maybe it's just a school thing, whatever school you went to. But when we had the talk at school, I remember us girls running out into the playground and sticking them on the wall. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so we we were not shy about it, obviously. Maybe that was the start of it. Maybe that was the start of me being a warrior around periods. I'm not sure. You were destined to put it out there. <laughs> destined but yeah we had that talk and it is so sad to see that people are just pushed disposables straight away even from that young age of 10 11 year old at school you just get told here you go this is what you use a disposable you chuck it in the bin afterwards and times really need to change So we did some research into how many disposable products are used and the average person uses 13,000 disposable products in their menstruating lifetime. So a disposable product, just one single disposable product, will take 700 years to decompose in landfill and 13,000 for 700 years from one person. Whoa. Yeah. 
that is just an insane statistic and it's not just about the environmental impact that is obviously a huge thing Dis disposable menstrual products are in the sea they're in the top 10 can't remember whether they come before plastic bags or just after plastic bags but they are in the top 10 of sea pollution for disposable products yeah i read somewhere that the plastic tampon applicators in australia are called beach whistles because they're that common washing up on the shores of australia but i heard that like you just don't realize how widespread that pollution gets it is massive but it's not just about the pollution i mean the pollution is horrendous and i think people can just think oh well pollution it doesn't affect me directly which i can i can understand people just turning a blind eye to it a little bit but when you think of the disposable products are perfumed a lot of them now and we are forever told not to put perfumed products near our vulvas that is something we are always told wash with water don't put soaps don't put irritants there but somebody in some marketing world somewhere has decided that vulvas should smell of perfume and they have put them onto disposable products and we are putting them so close to our skin and the chemicals used to bleach the materials and they cause cramping they can make you cramp so much worse they pull moisture away from your body they're itchy most people have been at the point where you're using a disposable product with wings and it sticks wrong and if you stick it to a wrong part of your body that hurts <laughs> yep <laughs> and it's uncomfortable and they just aren't nice and you have that rustling that crinkle when you're in a public bathroom and I think a lot of people are scared of that as well. But when you switch to reusables, you haven't got any chemicals. You haven't got that horrid rustly noise. You haven't got sticky bits that are going to stick to your pubic hairs and hurt. And you just don't have that. You have a comfortable experience. All of our pads are topped with jersey fabric, which is the same stuff that your cotton knickers are made out of. So when you put a reusable pad on, it just feels like an extra layer of knickers. It doesn't feel any different. It's interesting you mentioned that moment where the crinkle and you're like, oh my God, in the public bathroom. Because to me, that and the perfume and all those kind of trends, it to me feels a lot about the shame that we have instilled on us about our menstrual cycles that thing of like, oh God, if there's a crinkle, everyone's going to know I'm putting a pad on or using a tampon. And actually in a ladies' bathroom, there's a very high statistical rate that other women there are doing it to or have done it to or... Completely. I mean, I worked a temporary job during lockdown just for a little while and I got very good friends with a guy who worked with us and everybody in the office referred to him as my work husband <laughs> and um, he was like my work husband and he would pick up on my moods and um, he would be like oh and I'd say yes it's rag week and he would be mortified and I would just be so open about it and say well yeah it's I mean someone referred to it as um, jammy time <laughs> I am quite open about it, but some people do recoil in horror and go, oh, no, like you don't talk about it. 
But I mean, my children are seven, four and three. And my children are fully aware of what I do, what I make, what they're for. And they have just no qualms about it. They know that that's what happens. And they know that means that when a person bleeds that they are not pregnant, they're not having a baby. And they are totally just open about it. And I think there is a stigma to break around menstruation. It can be seen as taboo. And in the Western world, I understand in other countries, it's still some places the women go and live in sheds for a week. But within the Western world, I don't see how it is still taboo. We see adverts that tell us to have a happy period. We shouldn't be forced to have a happy period. <laughs> if we want to have a grumpy period, have a grumpy period. If we don't want to be doing athletics during a period, we don't have to. We can slob around in our pyjamas and eat chocolate. That is absolutely fine. But there does seem to be a pressure just to act normal and not sure that you are on a period and it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, it always makes me laugh in those adverts where it's like, you can do sport. And I'm like, I'm all right. I, I don't want to do sport when I'm not on my period. Never mind when I am on my period. <laughs> Yeah, I got given a book a couple of years ago, which really kind of changed my perception of those cultures where they do have the, like you say, the go and be in a shed for a week. Because I guess in my kind of privileged, white, westernized head, I'd be like, oh my God, how horrifying. They get sent to a shed or a tent. And actually, in those cultures, the learning that I've done sounds like it's actually really nurturing and really supportive. And you go to the red tent and you're looked after and everyone takes away that pressure from you and goes, oh, like, if you need to cry, cry. If you need this, this. It's like this gorgeous space. And yet somehow it's almost painted as the weird thing where we're out there hiding the fact that we're menstruating because we have to seem normal. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's so much pressure in the Western world as well, especially as being British, we're seen to have that stiff upper lip and just keep going, just keep going. No matter what's going on, you're just expected to just carry on as normal and just, yeah, menstruation is hard. It is difficult and sometimes it is awful. And I think as well, because it's not spoken about openly, people struggle to realise what is normal. I definitely didn't realise when things were not normal. So I have had a history of heavy periods. I had one doctor tell me to get pregnant. I think I was 19. Um, tell me to have a baby and that should help my periods. I have obviously had three children and it didn't help my periods. I have suffered and I was one of those very unfortunate ones that even throughout breastfeeding, I still had periods. I struggled with very, very heavy periods and I was using disposable products. When I switched to reusables, that really lessened my periods and lessened the pain. I had tried different medications. I had been put on different contraception. When I had my son, I had a condition. That means that I can no longer have hormonal contraceptives. So I had to avoid them. And so I sort of was suffering. The reusables helped and I didn't quite understand why. Looking back, it's 
the chemicals in the disposables just continue to make you bleed and you're changing so often and it looks a lot more. So I've gone through lab testing of my pads and my pads are three times more absorbent than a disposable product. You are getting such great protection as well. So when you are suffering heavy periods and you're spending a fortune on disposables and changing every two, three hours, switching to reusables can really help as well because you have that extra protection. That's so interesting. I think there's that preconception out there that reusables are less absorbent somehow because they don't have all the magic stuff that makes the blue liquid go into the pads and not come back out. The blue liquid. We hate the blue liquid. We, we don't like the blue liquid. We all know that menstruation is red or brown or just like deep red or light red. It is so many different colours, but it is not blue. <laughs> if it is blue, something is going on. <laughs> yes, if you have blue, then please visit your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's another another time that the general media is just washing over what menstruating people go through. We do not have flu. It is just, it's sort of shrouded in a secrecy of this happens. And when we get that talk at school as well, the class is split up. For me, I do not use genders for menstruation. It is something that I've never done within the business because it's not just women that menstruate. And I'm completely aware of that. And I will always tailor to anybody's needs no and i think like you say when you add in the complexities of people who are trans or non-binary and the dysphoria that their menstrual cycle gives them that is something that is not talked about at all sometime last year there was the thing about one of the big brands taking the little female style off the wrappers and people were in uproar and I was sat there thinking for a certain large percentage of people using the products, I bet they never even noticed what was on the packaging other than, oh, it's delicate and pink. But for the people who are affected by gender dysphoria around their menstrual cycle, it's just another way of making them feel rubbish about it. Yeah, completely. That's why I like to be gender inclusive, so... People can come to me and say, look at, like, have you got anything that is a bit more gender neutral or that is more male orientated or even just a plain black or a plain white or something that doesn't look like rainbows and unicorns and glittery flowers that doesn't look girly. And I'm like, yes, of course you can. You can have whatever you want. Because it should be inclusive. People shouldn't have it rammed down their throats that menstruation is for women. Even the mainstream brands, they are so gendered. I mean, you watch the adverts and they are skinny women, usually. Yeah, and often skinny white women. Skinny white women. <laughs> yes, skinny white women, usually. Um, doing sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah that is not the only person that menstruates but at school we are split up into boys and girls and the girls get told about menstruation 
and we get told about birth control and the boys get told about condoms and the boys don't get the talk on the menstruation which doesn't seem quite right because generally any hetero boy is going to end up in a relationship with someone who menstruates yeah the boys are going to go into an adult life and well they're going to see their mothers menstruate or their their sisters and things or their friends or co-workers yeah or co-workers they still have the need to be educated on menstruation as well it shouldn't just be targeted at the girls and you see those memes and stuff where the husbands have gone to go and buy tampons and said do you want the lemon or the lime flavor <laughs> because they don't know they don't know and i think they should i mean my husband he knows so much about periods now bless him <laughs> he really really does but I think it is important that everybody's educated, not just a certain gender. Yeah, there's that story, isn't there, about the first time they sent a woman into space for like a 20-day mission or something. And they were like, is 100 tampons enough? Did that actually like, happen? Yeah, it's like in the NASA like record of <laughs> like, and you just think... It goes back to that thing, which for me, I'm becoming so present to at the moment, of how that culture of not talking about women's bodies, when actually a lot of the systems we need are still in the patriarchal, led by men kind of thing, then you do have questions like, is 100 tampons enough for a 20-day mission? Or the women's bodies have ways of shutting those things down. Lawmakers and doctors and scientists, the world is not catering to people who menstruate. And like you say, that could be women, that could be non-binary people, that could be trans men. But if we're not aware of those things, then actually it's stopping the world from adapting to us. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's sad when you go into a place and you're looking for menstrual products and even in the chemists, they tend to be shoved around the corner. They're not on general display. They're sort of hidden a little bit, you know? It's not at the forefront, is it? Like, a supermarket probably wouldn't put on a televised advert that they have sanitary products on buy one get one free. Yes. I mean, yes, we have the disposable sanitary products on the telly all telling us to have a happy period, but the places that sell them don't tend to advertise. You wouldn't drive past one of the supermarkets and where they have those big banners saying we've got 50 pence off apples this week. You wouldn't see them having a big sign up that says there's 50% off period products this week. It's hidden it's hidden from sight and I don't think it should be. I think we should all encourage the discussions about menstruation because people do need to know what is normal, what is not normal and what the alternative options are. We don't have to accept the mainstream, disposable, sticky, chemical-laden, uncomfortable, itchy products anymore. I think you're right when you're saying about the conversations. It's got the emotional side of it, but I also think there's a big health side of it in that if you don't know what's normal and what's normal for you, then actually 
I think it means you can end up not knowing that you've got certain health conditions and not knowing is this inside the norm or outside of the norm. So when I was 16, 17, I had a period that lasted for weeks, like 12 weeks. And obviously went to the doctor because I didn't know much. I knew that wasn't right. But the doctor didn't have a clue. Sent me off for some tests for polycystic ovaries. And when that came back as not polycystic ovaries, that doctor said to me, well, you're either infertile or you're fine on your way. And at that point, like 15, 16 year old, I'd carried that with me the whole time and not known what was normal and what wasn't normal. And I only found out when I was training to be a coach, I was on the coach intensive training and I happened to be talking to a former gynecologist about it. And she was like, oh no, that's totally normal. Quite often you do have an extended period in that first few years of menstruating And that's like 17 years I'd been carrying around that. It's one or the other. But didn't have any space to have that conversation. And I've got friends now that are getting diagnosed with polycystic ovaries and endometriosis and all those kind of things in their 30s and some in their 40s. And thinking, oh my God, if we'd have been able to have that conversation about what was and wasn't normal so much younger, how different a period experience they could have had over the years. Completely. I mean, I went to suffering heavy periods. I went to the gynecologists and was was sort of pushed around. I ended up going to my GP and saying, look, my periods are horrendous what do I do? Like I've been on medication and I can't take hormonal contraceptives anymore. I am suffering. I am in pain. They're heavy. What do I do? And he said, right, okay, I'll refer you to the gynecologist and I will send you for a scan. And they sent me for a scan. And I remember going for this scan and thinking, oh yeah, it's just, it's just a quick scan. So they did this quick scan and um, I said to the woman I saw, I said, can you tell me anything? No. And she went, no, no. She went, you'll have the results with your GP in about two weeks. So the next morning, my daughter was poorly, so I'd, I'd rang the GP for my daughter and get off the phone, booked her appointment. And then I got a phone call saying, I missed a phone call from the GP. So I rang them back. I was like, oh, I assume it's for Izzy. She's not well. And they were like, oh, no, no, it's not for Izzy. And they turned around to me and said, oh, your, your results are in you need to come in and see the GP and I was there in just they couldn't tell me anything over the phone I mean I'd had this scan at four o'clock in the afternoon the day before I had to get a phone call at eight o'clock in the morning tell me to see my GP the next day nobody told me anything until I got to my GPs in the afternoon who told me oh yeah so you've got a cyst on your ovary and I was like okay right straight down to the nurse for blood tests like I have never gone into the doctors and been sent straight to the nurse for a blood test like mm-hmm. no appointment needed just go and sit down there she'll have you straight in for a blood test and I was like oh, okay they were like yeah so we don't know if it's cancer or but we'll do this blood test so they did the blood test and three days later I rang up and said like have my results come in and I got told oh yeah your results are in and I was like right okay oh, yeah they're within normal range that's it nothing more and so that was <laughs> That was a few years ago now and I still have no idea even though that was a few years ago I still have absolutely no idea what 
that means, what could happen, what what the implications of that are at all. Absolutely no idea. Yeah, I'd love to say that was an isolated story, but it's something I hear from people over and over again that we're not educated about our own bodies. <laughs> not at all. And it was like, okay, I still suffer with some pain um, at times and I am one of the unfortunate ones and that is something as well that I never really understood but I'm one of the unfortunate ones but I say unfortunate it means that when we had our children it was it was quite helpful to be honest but I have ovulation pain which is something that I didn't even know was a thing but I know when I'm ovulating, I can pinpoint exactly when I'm ovulating that was helpful <laughs> when we were having children. I don't want children anymore. I have my children. I, I am not having any more children. Um, but yes, I know when I'm ovulating. But that brings me on to seeing the gynecologist suffering heavy periods. And he said to me, I think I was 28. He said, well, we can just give you a hysterectomy. I said, I don't want a hysterectomy. And he was like, oh, well, you've already been sterilised. I was sterilised when I had our youngest. You've already been sterilised, so you're not having any more children. So why don't we just take it out if it's causing you that much bother? And I was like, I would like to keep that part of my body. And it is just instantly assumed that, okay, so you're struggling with your periods. So we'll just stop them completely by taking it all out and sod the other side effects that are going to come along with a hysterectomy at 28. Or you go the other way and there are people who are there going, please take it out. I know I don't want kids and they can't get a doctor to take them seriously because they're like, oh, you'll change your mind one day. And I have so many friends who are there going, just please, I want rid. Completely. I mean, I know that it is so difficult for women to get sterilised. I was very lucky to be sterilised without much of a fight. I had had caesarean sections and I have had a previous loss and a few miscarriages and things and so I was very lucky that when we were pregnant with our youngest I said to the doctors at my first midwife appointment my first consultant appointment can I be sterilized can you mark it in my notes that I want to be sterilized when I have my planned c-section I think the general rule is that you have to ask three times throughout your pregnancy to ensure that you are going to be getting it at your plan section and every appointment I made a point of saying I do not want any more children please sterilize me but every appointment I had to say that and then when I was on the table having our youngest I was still double checked do you want to be sterilized and I was like yes please <laughs> I have a friend a male friend who has been determined that he hasn't wanted children him and his partner do not want children. He battled, I think he was around 30, 31 before they actually did it, but he battled to have a vasectomy. And he was again told, no, you'll change your mind. You'll change your mind, no, you might want kids one day. My husband looked into vasectomy and the wife had to give permission to say that, yeah, she was okay with that. And that's wild. It is It is wild that doctors can have such a control over your fertility, even if you are absolutely determined that, and you know that you don't want any children or any more children. I can completely understand people 
begging to have a hysterectomy and saying like I just want it out this is horrendous and them refusing there doesn't seem to be much middle ground well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today when I first started considering reusables I kind of looked at the internet and there were five million people out there and I just didn't have a clue where to start it sounds like you have that consultation to get the right thing for the individual completely my inbox is always open whether it's via personal via my business page or instagram or an email or my contact form on my website it doesn't matter how you come through you can text me if you really want to text me you can ring me i've had people ring me before and i love having a chat about periods whatever you want however people want to contact me is absolutely fine and basically people can tell me what they're currently using how long their cycle is what their flaws generally like and any issues that they're facing with what they're currently using and i can tell them what pad in what shape and what absorbency and what length will suit them And it's as easy as that. I can answer that question with just that snippet of information. And I understand some people do struggle with opening up to somebody and can find it a little bit nerve wracking to speak openly about it because they haven't had that opportunity before. But every single person that comes to me, it is confidential. I am not going to go around and say, ah, did you know so-and-so's ordered this because so-and-so has this heavy period. And What happens between you and the pad maker stays between you and the pad maker. (laughs) Exactly that, exactly that. And all I am here for is to help people. It's like you're simplifying the process, but you're also kind of shifting that paradigm into one where we can just have that conversation and be like here's what my body does and have someone meet that with just total acceptance and be like okay that's cool here we go there is room to change that we can change that stigma it we can change the patterns of talking about periods oh i love it so if people are listening to this alison and thinking oh my god i need some reusables in my life where can they find you you can find me on facebook and instagram and twitter at izzy wizzy just pop it in it's all one word and you can find me on my website at www.izzywizzyroo.co.uk where you can order products there is a little quiz on there to see what pad is right for you You can find all of our contact information and you can browse our gorgeous fabrics. And if you have listened to this podcast and you are tempted to order, please use the code Anna for 10% off at checkout. Oh, that's so generous. Thank you. I have loved every minute of talking periods with you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. So I hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about periods as much as we loved having the conversation. One of the things that I wanted to bring up with you guys just before we sign off is the idea of cycle tracking. For some of us, we've never even ventured into that world before. Others of us might know roughly when our period is due, or as Alison described, some of us know when we're ovulating. But cycle tracking can actually be so much more than that in our lives. So for example, did you know that in the week after your period has happened and finished, 
you get a real boost of energy. You get a real kind of surge because of what your hormones are doing. Now, it makes sense when you're planning your month to think, well, there are tasks that I don't want to do when I'm on. I'm going to have a week where I release the pressure a bit, knowing that you've got that energy boost coming as soon as your hormones change. So what I recommend doing for a lot of the people I coach is actually tracking where they are in their cycle, what their energy is like, what happened for them that day, how they felt. Once you've done this for a couple of months, it's super useful to have that. Start picking out the times when you have most energy, the times when you have least energy, the times where you just need the world to take a complete break and to hibernate for a bit. Working with our hormones and our cycles can actually be really empowering. So I'd like to invite you to have a go and let me know what you think. Next week, we're extremely lucky to have a woman called Beth with us. Now, Beth has been generous enough to share her story about baby loss with us. It's obviously a really personal topic and everyone's story with baby loss is completely different. When I was researching for my chat with Beth, I was aware that one in four pregnancies end with an early miscarriage. But what I didn't realise was that one in 100 pregnancies and in late miscarriage. So Beth's going to be with us talking about some of the things she learned from her journey and what she's taken moving on for there. I hope you can join us. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson.